Welcome to STEM Invest Podcast episode 54. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Dooney, aka Jeffrey Benton. Jeffrey was born in Frankston in 1948 when they still shoot horses in the stables near the railway station. Jeffrey attended tech school and became an apprentice as a plastic dye maker, tool maker. He worked as a maintenance fitter and in later life he became a policeman, then a truck driver and has also owned several small businesses. He retired in 2012 and went on to discover a range of activities that keep him interested and sometimes frustrated. These include filmmaking, short story writing, making model boats and generally beavering away in his shed for days at a time. He recently discovered the joys and frustrations of learning how to use a laser cutter and has since filled the house with tiny wooden boxes. Then he was bitten by the electronics bug in the form of Arduino and is now trying to combine all of his skills to one end. Jeffrey has a lifetime love affair with motorcycles including building, restoring, racing and touring. In the shed at the moment is a home-built 920cc V-Twin Solo and a 1500cc Kawasaki V-Twin with a sidecar and trailer. Jeffrey lives in country Victoria with his wife and two cats. This is Stemiverse Podcast Episode 54. Stemiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom, or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs, and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change, and why not, abundance. Marcus, how are you, Peter? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. It's That's particularly good. hot today. It's a good 26 degree day. <laughs> yeah, it feels like summer. Yeah. Like, I'm here with my shorts, my t-shirt, like, it's the first time this year that I do this. Yeah, this uh, Chinese global warming conspiracy <laughs> yes, is actually working out for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Can't <laughs> wait for summer. That's a joke. Yeah. I joke. Okay. <laughs> oh, joke, yes. Yeah, Donald Trump. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not that we're political today. Uh, today, we've got uh, another special guest for our episode 54, which, wow, we are on the other side of 50. Mm. And this time, we've got a maker, like a, a real maker, uh, Dooney, Dooney Benton from Victoria. Welcome. Hey, Dooney, how are you? Oh, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> how are you going? How's Victoria these days? Ah, Victoria is good. i am uh, been fiddling around in the shed today, getting ready for a journey that a few blokes are heading off for a couple of weeks up in the New South. Oh, is that on a motorbike? Yeah. Oh, great. You can tell us all about it uh, because uh, <laughs> you are a prolific maker. You make all sorts of things, uh, amazing things, I've got to say. And yes. uh, I thought uh, we'd got to talk to you. How about you take a few minutes and you tell us about yourself, Dooney? And especially, uh, I want to know about your name. <laughs> I've, never, I've never known somebody called Dooney before. Tell us about your nickname, how you got that. And, uh, you know, take us as far back as you like uh, and uh, take us to today and, like, what are you doing? What are you working on? And tell us about your shed as well. I want to know everything. 
Yep, sure. Okay, well, you don't want to know about the nickname. That is very politically incorrect. So uh, we'll, we can try us. Yes. One day I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you about it. Perhaps another day. Off the air. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who am I? Look, um, I'm really. I'm just Mr. Joe Ordinary. You know. Um, uh, I grew up uh, as a young man uh, with uh, a, few, a bunch of mates and a father who was a hunter. So uh, from a very early age, I was away in the bush, and uh, I'm probably as comfortable in the bush as I am in the city or at at. At this time in my life, actually, I'm more uncomfortable in the city than I am in the bush. So, hmm. um, in, in saying that, uh, a lot of my time was spent out out there uh, on various motorcycles and on in various four wheel drive cars. And uh, often we found ourselves things would break. You know, back in the early days, uh, we didn't have much dough and the cars weren't very good. So we, I learnt as uh, from an early age uh, how to uh, fix things with nothing. And I think that's the basis of my uh, skills, if you want to call them that, as a maker. It's able to make stuff out of not much and able to nut out the, the answer to a problem without uh, having to refer too much mm. to somebody else, you know? A manual. Yeah, or Google. Yeah. Although Google's <laughs> pretty handy. Yeah. Google's pretty handy. Nothing like a bit of research. So anyway, I've been making things all my life. So you like the, the classic maker. You're the classic hands-on person, like something breaks, it uh, breaks, so you'll fix it. Yes, that's it. If it breaks, I'll fix it. And um, you know that I was an apprentice toolmaker in my early mm. days. Well, the, the young bloke that I went through that apprenticeship with turned out to be a lifelong friend, uh, my best mate for like 60 years. Mm. A, and he turned into a mechanical engineering genius, whereas I was a fairly adequate policeman. <laughs> so the, the skills that I gained uh, were purely useful whereas he was uh, like a genius but where we work well together is that my genius was finding stuff nowhere and so if we had something break down he'd look at it like for example we were somewhere in the one of the cars boiled the engine boiled and he said oh well we need some black pepper so I just walked up and down all the camps in the area and pinched all their black pepper brought it back (laughs) we tipped it in the radiator started it up what happens with the pepper is it expands and it fills the hole in the radiator and away we went. Oh, seriously. So you use pepper to yeah. plug a, a hole in the engine, in the radiator. In the, in the radiator, yeah. How big's the hole? Oh, well, they're only minute. You don't need much, you know. You just need a bit of pressure that pokes a pinhole. Yeah, yeah. We're talking right. old old um, brass yeah. cap radiators, etc. Yes. Yeah. It so, wouldn't work in the new car, right? But and yeah. how far can you drive on pepper? Oh, well, that car got back to Melbourne and we were up at Albury. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so we take it to the next city at least. Yeah. And then some. So that's one of the – you two worked together. He was so, like, able to solve a mechanical problem. You could find the practical aspects that's of it. procuring what could, you needed. I could get the stuff. Yep. <laughs> we were stuck somewhere in a little town called Walwa, which is also up near there, on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, one of the blokes, his um, coil broke in his Falcon – so I just went for a bit of a drive around the town and I saw an old falcon on the side of the road, knocked on the bloke's door, asked him if he wanted to sell the car. He said he did. I said, how much? He said, 250. I said, how much for the coil? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that cost us a slab of beer and we fixed our car and off we went again. Cheers. Today we just call it NRMA. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Like we're not going to even consider doing any of that, but uh, those were totally different times as well, right? To be fair, 
the cars these days. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, little black boxes. Yeah. That's right. Like I think so, about my, you need a my PhD first car. To fix it. You could actually go in and move stuff around and, mm. you know, air it to work. And now the cars, they're sealed. Yeah. But I guess you said earlier, Denny, that you are like a, a person of the bush or the, you know, you're not a city person. Do you find that your lifestyle requires you to be resourceful like that and uh, to be able to get things fixed without, you know, having yes. all the tools and bells and whistles that, City for my uh, not so much. I've got a pretty good shed. Yeah, um, but I'm able to do almost anything here now, and it's a blessing. I haven't always had all that stuff. When I retired and came here, um, a little sort of creative light clicked on, and I had a lifetime worth of spare motorcycle parts stacked up. <laughs> and um, I thought, oh bugger it, I'll go in a different direction. So I sold them all, and got five thousand bucks for all them bits, and uh, spent that on on tools for the shed. So I got a pretty good shed now. Uh, what is your favourite tool? Oh, I have to be the laser. <laughs> oh, that's a new one, isn't it? So you got yeah. a laser cutter? Yes. Uh, carbon dioxide, water-cooled, um, how many watt? It's four watt diode. Okay. Yeah, Australian and one. And what can you cut with that? Uh, I, I cut um, four mil ply, three ply, light ply. Mm-hmm. And it's light yeah. and it's strong. And I can make anything out of it. We can see some pictures here on your post on Facebook. Uh did you actually design the plywood design that eventually got cut in the laser cutter, all those you know, bits and pieces? Did you design yep. the yes. whole lot together? Yes. Yourself? Yep. Okay, you're going to tell us uh, uh, what kind of tool do you use to uh, design well, there's a, all that? There's a bit of software came with it with the laser cutter ah, called Cut2D. Right. So I learned how to use that. And it's it's a, it's a got a CAD drawing program in it, which is really quite respectable for the fact that it's a piece of free software Hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, the ability to solve problems sideways is what makes it work especially more able to um, get to the bottom of the problem by going sideways you know like if you come to a brick wall why doesn't it work instead of possibly solving the problem according to the plans I'll go around the corner and come in a back door and fix it if you understand that you look for alternatives. Like, what what would guide you to that side solution, perhaps? Like, how can you triage a problem, I guess, in order to figure out what's the most economical, efficient, or even possible way to solve it? Uh, well, the first rule is always go and look at the last thing you mucked around with because that'll probably be where the fault is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think of an example. I had a... A new piece of software became available called Lightburn. So I installed that, but it wouldn't work. And then I figured out that it wouldn't work because I had XP in the old computer. So um, then I went back, uh, what do you call it, the uh, the program before? I put one of those on the- Before Windows XP? Well, I went back to a program that that works on XP. So rather than, uh, I guess the sideways thing is I could have spent a lot of money and upgraded the computer, I just downgraded oh, the software. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Where I would upgrade the computer. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> there you go. It works. So the downgraded yeah. software works just as well. I, a young man one day, I was talking to him about computers and he's, I said, oh, I should upgrade this computer. And he said, well, when you bought that computer, how good was it? And I said, it was perfect. It was state of the art when I bought it. 
And I was, he said, did it do everything you wanted it to do? And I said, yes. He said, well, is it still doing that? And I said, yes. And he said, well, what do you want to upgrade for? Well, because, you know, there's, there's new things that you could be doing with a new car. Oh, stuff. well, I mean, That's, naturally yeah. I do upgrade stuff, but I'm, what I'm getting yeah. at is that uh, if, if the stuff works when you're using it, yeah, uh, I guess it, that's a good argument because, you know, it needs change over time as well. If you uh, freeze it in time, yeah, it will uh, always run nicely, right? Hey, Denny, I'd like to get back to the things that you are working on, like, like that laser cutter. But I want to take a step back and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your early retirement, because I know that you've done a lot of things in your life. So you've been a policeman, as you said, Um we can talk about that if you want. No, that's okay. <laughs> then he became a, a truck driver and a f- yep. he had a few other businesses. So, yep. so you've done quite a few things. And eventually you retired back in 2012. Yep. And you, since then, you've equipped a shed with amazing tools. You build stuff and you're learning new things uh, constantly. What, you know, drove you to choose that type of retirement instead of uh, playing golf, I guess, um, traveling the world and things like that? Oh, you, yeah, you, okay. you do still travel, but you know what I'm saying. Yes, I do. Um, I've got to, to become. Yeah. Well, not relax. No, I can't relax. I've got a brain that needs to be exercised, and fingers that need to be fiddling. Yes, right. And you've always been like that, right? Yes, always. Is that right? Yep. Mm. Yep. So you finally found your freedom to actually now learn what you want and build what you want. Correct. Spend your time in any way you like. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've got stacks of model boats out in the shed and I finished up I, mm-hmm. I had to sell them to make some room um yeah How you get started? like what was the like the first I don't know um like reaching that age where you can think about hey what would I like to do for the next I don't know 30 40 years yeah somebody and gave let's me let's make it happen somebody gave me a kit when I was a little boy probably about eight or nine of a model boat and I built that and then Many, many years later, after that, then I had, you know, father, wife, kids, jobs, work. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my hobbies were revolved around motorcycles and four-wheel drives. But um, towards maybe in, in my early 60s, I took up starting, uh, took up model boat making again, mm-hmm. um, just as a sort of a intellectual exercise. And then when I got down here to Bryagalong and ha- finally had um, perfect man shed, uh, I built a couple. I built that um, paddle steamer you may have seen, and I've mm-hmm. got probably four or five others on the way. There's one of them is a um, model of a eighty foot uh, MTB torpedo boat, <laughs> which the um, all of the internal pieces I cut on the laser and all of the planking I cut by hand. And uh, that's going to be a nice thing, but I've decided that it's not 80 feet long, it's only 40 feet long, and I'm building it as a gentleman's race boat. Okay, so you can actually get into that thing, right? Like when I think, when, when I hear a model, uh, I think like of something I can put on my desk and you know, hold it on one hand, but you actually build big things. Yeah, I do. I like them big. The um, gentleman's racer is 1.2 metres long. Hmm. Um, it's powered by a couple of electric motors, but in the back of it, it's got a couple of um, V12 Allison motors. And I came across a piece of hardware in the USA, had it sent out, or Canada actually, and it, it uh, plays sounds. So that's hooked up to the uh, remote control so that when you press start on the remote control to make the electric motor work, 
it starts up the hardware, which um, generates the sound of two V12 engines starting up and blasts that out at 98 decibels through a great big speaker in the front of the boat. Oh, that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and uh, that was the sideways exercise. I couldn't figure out how, how to fix it, and I just worked beavered away at it for about uh, probably two years, and it's working now. It's fine. So that's why I think I've got so many projects out in the shed that uh, aren't finished. If I hit a hurdle, I put it away and go on with something else. How much of the stuff that you build is built on, say, instructions that you can find in a box or by Googling it? And how much requires you to come up with the designs and, you know, the solutions to the problems that are inevitable? Um, is it like 50-50 or...? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of free plans on available on the internet. So the trick is to find them. Once you find them, obviously, mm. they're not all PDFs, so you've got to hunt around and then convert them to a PDF so that you can put that into the software and change that so that you can um, make your G-code to cut the bits out of. And sometimes they don't fit, like it's an A3 laser cutter, and mm. some of the parts mm. are too big, so you've got to cut swizzle lines across them and then join them again. Oh, so what you're saying is that like you can find designs yes. uh, on the internet, but then you need to figure out how to convert them into a format that your laser cutter can use. Yeah, somebody might have a, a set of plans to build a model boat that's, say, a foot long. Yeah. So I just um, four times that on the in the CAD program. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other stuff you can do with a laser cutter too. I haven't even shown you half of them yet, but I will if you want one day yeah yeah right well you, you do post some very interesting videos up there so. yeah um i just just as an intellectual exercise one day I, I found a photograph of a dog and um i discovered that i could engrave that 3d engrave it it's only uh, it's like a, a millimeter or so deep into the wood but it's 3d engraved yeah so i engraved that photograph of the dog and then i thought well if i could cut that dog out i could glue it onto another thing so i'd be able to have a genuine 3d piece you know what i mean so mm-hmm. I did that, but the algorithms of the piece of the algorithms of the software was different to the algorithm of the hardware. Uh, sorry, of the the piece that did the cutting was different to the piece that did the engraving. Mm-hmm. So I had to calculate the relationship between those two and then convert the picture so that when I cut it, it was the same as the one that engraved. Once I'd figured out how to do that, I did a um, a tutorial on it and then forgot it and moved on to something else. So let's say that you have the same problem again in the future. Would you remember how you've done it the first time? Oh, you yeah. took notes well, of you? No, no, I, I made a tutorial and shared it on the um, laser oh, cutter right. website to give the other blokes right, a go. Right, So you, you know where to find it. So if money were not, a, uh, were not an option, were not a thing, uh, what would your perfect workshop look like? Oh, wow. A painted grey floor. <laughs> It'd be about a hundred acres, and there'd be a little corner in the corner, and that'd be the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd sleep in your in your shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my shed's pretty good. There's not a lot wrong with yeah. my shed. I've got it divided up. It's a four car garage, with a, a piece on the back that I built. Uh, so that's where I've got all my uh, small department. You know, the laser cutters in there, and all the all the hand tools and small tools. And then around the other mm. side, one of the bays has got woodworking material in it, and a big eight by four bench, and uh, space to park a few bikes. So that's where you built your electronics. I'll talk about that later. But also your your uh, engines for your motorbikes. Uh, everything happens in the shed. 
Yes, but I haven't done much on the motorcycles in the shed now. That was all years ago. I pretty much got out of that now in mm. terms of uh, developing. I still do a fair bit of work on a sidecar because they are an evolving machine. Oh, how so? How are they evolving? Oh, uh, sidecars um, uh, don't drive like motorbikes and they don't drive like motorcars. They're a total entity of their own and they put stresses and strains in places that the motorcycle isn't used to, so things mm. constantly break and you've got to fix it and, uh, yeah, you've got to be on top of them all the time. But, uh, look, that's right. that's another part. You know, like I said before, I like to fix things on the fly. I carry enough tools and bits and pieces and parts. Like the last time I went away, a little thing, the exhaust pipe popped out, so I just pulled up on the side of the road, knocked the pipe out, figured out what the problem was, bumped a few holes in it with a chisel and stuck it back together again, mm. and it got me into town where I could get it welded up. But I love I love the ability to nut out the problem and fix it and keep going. Yeah. Would you say that there's like a built-in, I guess, feature of your personality were you did you did you become like that because you lived uh, out in the bush and you had to be resourceful? Um, did you train into you know th- your ability to solve problems through your life experience? Could it be all of that? Yes, it is. I'm just trying to see, the, yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah, it certainly is. And and now it's um, I take advantage of that by going places that are more difficult than you would normally think. For example, I'm going up mm. to just up near Bathurst in a couple of days. It'll take us two days to get there because we'll be going all back dirt roads all the way up. We hardly touch the bitumen. On a motorbike? Yep. Yeah, great. With a trailer oh, on the back. In a... well, <laughs> you, so you'll be towing a trailer on your motorbike? Yes. Don't forget the sidecar. All your supplies. Yep, and the sidecar. We can go bush and stay bush for, for a week. So once you get there, what do you did? You camp? Uh, yes, there's a, a sidecar motorcycle rally, which is a gathering of people who ride sidecars at O'Connell, which is just below Bathurst. Yeah. And then we're going to keep going up and do that country in the back of the Western Escarpment there behind the Blue Mountains, uh, yeah. by, by law, by land, something like that. Um, sunny corner, dark corner, Truro River, all that. That's a, a great way to combine you know, the outdoors with... The machines. Yeah, we are. Look, uh, the blokes I'm going with, the, the two blokes I'm going with are very similar brain thing as me. Uh, that, you know, I love the bush, love the out, yeah. love the dirt, yeah. love the no people. No, no, we don't do tourist things. We don't, we don't stay in motels. We don't, um, mm. we don't go to cafes for coffee. We, we, we're on the road in the bush yeah. all you the time. Yeah, so when it's time to eat, you just uh, we've got everything we cook ourselves. Light up a fire and yeah, start a fire and you go out hunting. No, for look, some I've, I've done that, but um, I packed up all the guns and put them away. <laughs> yeah, play safe. Um, now I'd like to get into electronics and discuss yep, electronics sure. with you. I know that you've been playing around with the Arduinos for. Well, not as long as you have with motorbikes, but oh, very short after time. your retirement, right? Yeah. yeah. No, only a couple of months. Really? That, yep. That's all? Yep. Because I can see from you know the things that you post on Facebook that you actually are designing really interesting things. So uh, tell us about it. Like, how did you start and 
what what is your favorite you know construction the the thing that you're yeah, sure. proud that you built uh, the, the uh, this is a, um, possibly amusing i <clears throat> i have a small problem with my legs called restless leg syndrome and mm -hmm. the doctor diagnosed a, a a pill to help fix that it alters the dopamine in your brain and makes it so that your legs still twitch but you don't know it so they stop yeah. twitching if you know what i mean Yep. And the side effect of the dopamine is that it turns you into a person who likes to buy stuff. So over a period of about a month, I've got more more remote control four-wheel drive things up in a corner of my shed than you can poke a stick at. And the missus oh, came out one day and saw them all out there and went crook. And I said, I don't know, I can't help it. I don't know what's going on. So she went in and she did it's a bit of research and discovered that the drugs were making me buy stuff. <laughs> So anyway, I went down the pub and That's talked to the boys excuse, about that, and they all want to know what the drugs are called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give it to the, the customers. A anyway, anyway, that stuff's all remote control stuff. So I've, I've, I've looked at it all up there, and I thought, wow, what am I going to do with all this? Now that I've diagnosed the problem, and I'm not going to buy any more of it, and I thought, what can I do with this stuff that's different? I thought I'd better learn how to use electronics and then I'll pull them all apart and make other stuff out of them. So that's, I started, jumped on the computer, then mm. started to do some research and I narrowed down Arduino as being the direction of many directions that I would probably choose mm. to go. What is Arduino? Arduino uh, is uh, the, you know, the, it, it's the device that makes other stuff do stuff. <laughs> wow. That's a good description, Denis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a thing that you use to get other things done. That's correct. It doesn't do much on its own, right? You need to hook it up to other things. That's it. I, like, yeah, well, that's my yeah, understanding. Yeah. I'm, I'm a chimpanzee when it comes to electronics. Yeah. But I figured I might uh, uh, learn it. Uh, initially, I started off with one of those make block things, and I've still got it in the mm. shed, and I looked at that, and the reason I purchased that was because the, um, the way that you uh, – write your code is you just slide little blocks into place mm -hmm. and i thought mm -hmm. that was going to be a pretty useful thing and it also has the ability to generate a sketch at the same time so i looked at that and i thought well why don't i just write these sketches instead of doing that let me can i just go back for one moment to something that yeah. might be interesting sure a million years ago i had a very small macintosh computer a little gray box mm -hmm. about as Oh. Big as a tissue was box, it, you know, the, the first, very first mm -hmm. Macintoshes. Yeah. Was it a Macintosh Plus? I don't know. I don't remember, but it was yeah. a junior thing. Anyway, a piece of software that came with it for free was called HyperCard. Oh, yes, HyperCard. All the memories you bring back. <laughs> yep. So I, <laughs> I got right, just I, said to Yes. I got stuck right into that HyperCard and learnt it very thoroughly. I thought it was a fascinating piece of software. Yeah. And years later, I, I started to see these things happening on the web called hyperlinks and et cetera, and I thought to mm. myself, I've been playing with bloody hyperlinks all my life. What's, what's mm. this, where's mm. this coming from? And I often wonder whether that hypercard might have some basis on the, on the web. Anyway, well, yeah. what it means is that I had some idea of, of my mind about things that um, if this, then that, and et cetera, how to debug and all of that sort of stuff. So it's always been cluttering around in the back of my brain. So when the sketch ability came up, and then I started to look at the thousands and thousands of little pieces of hardware you could get to go with the Arduino to make it do all sorts of things, 
I thought to myself, wow, I'm in paradise here if I can make this bloody mm. thing work. Yeah. Uh, what have you found most challenging with the Arduino? Uh, so far, the uh, issue was to get four servos working. I've got three of those working now. And I uh, have been a little bit busy and haven't gone back to it yet, but I think it might be the pot that's up the shit, not not the uh, hardware, not the, um, not the um, Arduino. Damaged potentiometer. Yep. Yeah, because um, when you learn how to fix things sideways, I I pulled all the leads off and just swapped them all around as if it was a spark plug. You know, you just I just pulled all the leads off all the servos and isolated the fact that it was a potentiometer, not a servo. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. Yep. So um, Keep, uh, I haven't been I haven't been back to that potentiometer and gone over it with the uh, multimeter yet, but that'll be next. You can also print out the readings from the potentiometer. No, on the Arduino. On the Arduino, out the serial port. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I'm learning stuff, but I'll, I'll try and find out how to do that now that you've told me. In fact, I'll write it down. Oh, What's there's a called? really good course on this Arduino stuff. <laughs> it's uh, yes. Tech Explanations, <laughs> Arduino, step by step. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Uh, yeah, I'll just ask me to do it. I'll explain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm working. I'm working through the first of Peter's courses at the minute, and I've already got the second one there, waiting till I finish the first one. Yeah, the second one talks about servos and uh, other types of motors. Yeah, so find it useful. I, I wanted to comment on your craftsmanship as well, which is amazing. Like we're looking at the picture of the Arduino with the potentiometers connected on a breadboard, but I can see that like you, you've got it nicely on probably plasterboard. You've mounted the potentiometers on another piece of wood. Yeah, that's a little laser cut gizmo. Everything is laser cut. That's in a nice angle, so you've got your user interface there. And behind it, there's um, another box on which you've got leads coming in and out and a few. Yeah, that's a power out box. Yeah, so you've made all that, right? You've designed and made it and uh, put it together. Yeah. I had a transformer laying around that I pulled out of a caravan, transformed Mm. uh, 240 to 15. So then I got that yeah. other little gizmo that transfer uh, trans changes whatever it does um, yeah. the the fifteen volts to from three to fifteen, so I can wind mm-hmm. them up or down, and then I made that other little box that's got every kind of way you can get power out in that sort of fifteen volt range because there's all that oh, four wheel right. drive stuff I play with as well. So that box is a power supply. Yep, that you that's, made. that's just power oh, power out. Nice. So just are completely like adapted to your needs. Yep. It's not something you can buy. I get power out about six different Amazing. ways. <laughs> wow. Hey, you'd like to talk about some of your other hobbies, uh, like very interesting things such as uh, short story writing. Yep. So you're a novelist, essentially. You you make films as well. Tell us a bit about that. Like, where does it come from? Like, I can see all the technical stuff. Um, I can connect them to your background, to your life out of the city. <laughs> In the bush. What about like filmmaking? What what are you doing? How did that come out? Um, you remember when little Johnny Howard decided to give us all nine hundred bucks? Oh yes, so John Howard was that? Uh, what was it, Lego? Rudd. That was Rudd during the GFC. Well, whoever GFC. it was, whoever it was. Thanks yeah, very much. I went out and bought a camera. Well, one. <laughs> I went out and bought myself a uh, a Canon iOS, whatever it is, one thousand D, and then I started taking photographs with it, and I thought, wow, this is a bit of fun. And then I hunted around one day and I saw, oh, GoPro, what's one of them? So I bought a little GoPro and stuck it on the motorbike and then suddenly I've got video footage of nearly every road in Victoria, (laughs) as seen from the eyes of a motorcyclist. 
Uh, so I started turning them into yeah. movies. Uh, got another GoPro. So as soon as I had two GoPros and a still camera and I started to um, – uh, take still photos and put them together in slideshows and then combine them with the video. Uh, so uh, it just grew exponentially from there. I suppose I've got a hundred small movies on my um, YouTube channel now. Right. Are those movies like your, your travels? Or do they have, uh, I guess, a storyline behind them? Like, uh, yeah, they've, what's, they've what's evolved. Uh, they have. They've evolved. And, and they evolved up to about... 12 months ago when I made my first scripted story. Um, I wrote about 12 short stories over a period of time and one of Marilyn's friends is a, a musician from her old band and he was here one day and I used to um, practice telling those stories to people so I'd read them and the ladies, but ladies like people to read stories to them so all the wives of the band members were sitting out the back and I was reading a couple of stories to them and Graham said, oh, you should record those. Hmm. So I said, oh, okay. So I recorded uh, 12, I think, and they're on a CD here. And he put a little bit of music behind them and they're professionally recorded and they sound okay. So I took one of those and used that narration and took some video to put over the narration so that the narration told the story with the video behind it. Hmm. Hmm. So we went, it was a story about a bloke who... Um, got his divorce papers and decided that he was going to go down the pub and celebrate. And when he's down there <laughs> having a quiet pot minding his own business, he looked across the room as you do occasionally in your life and he looked into the eyes of a woman and his head went boom. And he thought, oh, no, I don't want any more of this. <laughs> so he went and sat down had a beer. Anyway, I wrote the story about that and we made a movie about it. Great. So that was the first movie we made as a scripted movie. And then um, what happened? When we got to Bryagalong, hope I'm not boring you guys. No, no, go for it. I've got questions, but uh, yeah. When we got to Bryagalong, we, uh, my wife and I both retired. And w when in our life we had been people who lived in towns and in larger communities and didn't become involved and we became involved with our own friends. But when we became here to Bryag, which is a very small town, we knew that we would have to get involved in the community if we wanted to fit. So Marilyn joined the CFA and I joined the Community House Committee and I'm now the treasurer of the Community House. And uh, as the treasurer, I one day thought to myself, one day I can get a few more dollars in for the Community House. So I thought, mm, I know, I'll get a grant. So I hunted around to see what sort of grants were about and there was a thing that was to do with aged people, Wellington Aged Initiative or something like that. And uh, I applied to them for a grant to do a project. And they said, what's the project? And I said, I don't know yet. How much are you going to give me? <laughs> so they said, well, we'll give you some amount, but you've got to tell us what the project is and it's got to involve senior citizens. So I went away and had a think and then I thought, oh, I know, I'll make a movie. So I got a crew together, uh, called it the BCH Movie Crew, and we went off and made a little movie last year uh, with a budget of $1,500. It's a 15-minute movie about the Bryagalong RSL. The Bryagalong RSL, yeah. in many, many years ago, the men used to meet down at the town hall. And after the meeting, they'd have a few beers. But the councillors one day came over and said, look, you can't be drinking no alcohol in our town hall. So they said, bugger that. And they went across the road and sat in the back of a truck after their meetings. And then that was parked outside the shop. We're talking about 1940s here. 
And then yeah. the bloke said, oh, well, you can come in and use a room in the back of the shop. And then they did that. And then they decided, bugger it, we'll build our own. So somebody gave them a block of land in town. And they were bushies, so they went bush and they cut logs and they built them back, brought them back to town and they built a log cabin here in Bryagalong. Now, the mm-hmm. first president of the Bryagalong RSL was a bloke called Hugh Chalmers Chandler, something like that, Lieutenant Colonel. He was the bloke that was in charge of that battle in Kokoda in uh, New Guinea. Oh, yep. And when that battle was over, the, his opposite in the Japanese army was laying dead on the battlefield and one of his one of Hugh's blokes picked up the sword and gave it to him and that sword is now in the RSL log cabin so we had all these oh, little weenie right. stories that we could mm. put together so we we interviewed the uh, surviving relatives of those men we put together the movie including old black and whites and then we mm. we shot uh, vignettes of certain pieces of it, like the bloke sitting in the back of the bus having a beer and things like that. And then we combined the whole mm. lot into a little 15-minute movie and it went nuts. Wow. So it's like the history of the town. It was the history of the uh, of the Bryagalong RSL, yeah. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to see that movie, where can they see it? You? Um, well, I haven't put it up on YouTube yet. I've got copies of it here. We're, we're still thinking about what to do with it. So mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know. We don't know what to yeah, do with it. On YouTube. <laughs> so how how did it go nuts? Oh, Sorry, well, I might be a man of my generation. I'm just wondering how. Yeah, it goes like nuts it was um, on YouTube. The Bryagalong community yeah. has a film festival here ah, every couple of okay. years. And All right. So we we put that little movie on at that film festival, and they they gave us an hour to show it. it was only a 15 minute movie. So we used three quarters of that to talk about it. We filled the town mm. hall to the roof. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to see it. I, I, um, yeah, consider putting it on YouTube. Uh, and, well, look, uh, I do have to think about that. Um, mm. But but I'll have to have a bit of a chat to the group first. We've started sure. on another one. We're going to do it on the railway line. So we've got another grant application in for some good movie equipment, cameras and stuff. Last year we just did it with DSLRs and et cetera. Uh, Denny, can I, can I ask you, like, so – Creating a movie with, say, 10, 15 people is not really something that I'd know how to do, right? Uh, unless you've got some experience in movie making. Uh, there's quite a few things there, like how do you write the scenario and the, the script, and then there's the technology there, and then how, to, you, how do you put all of the footage together and combine it with the music and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot there. Did you have to learn all that like, on the fly, just like everything else, pretty much? Or did you have somebody with experience to help you out? I never said I knew how to do anything. I just do it. Hmm. Yeah. That's just So not knowing is not a problem, right? You, you just no, go just, ahead and do it. Just do it. If there's an issue, fault solve it. So you had yeah. your GoPros. You had two GoPros. You had, I think uh, you said uh, a Nikon or something like that. Um, no, I just... Um, uh, I'm going to tell you another little story. A million years ago, I was a very junior policeman at Seymour. And in those days, we used to work one up in the car and one in the office. So your communication was with the man back in the office via the radio. And in those days, our nearest backup was uh, Broadmeadows, Bendigo and Benalla. Uh, so I'm out in the uh, out in the divisional van one night and I get a call to an accident on the Hume Highway and I'm very junior policeman, you know, like um, several months. Just fresh. Pissing down with rain, freezing cold, middle of the night, 
I've got my great big navy blue coat on and my hat and my gloves and a blue light on the roof of the van. So I drive there and uh, there's a semi-trailer upside down. There's cars everywhere, people walking around. It's pissing down with rain. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do this. I just want to go home. But mm. I didn't. I got out, opened the door, started to walk forward. And uh, something happened. The people all started to walk towards me, you know. And mm. what happened was that I realised that they weren't coming to see Jeffrey Benton. They were coming to see a person in authority who was going to help mm. them and who was going to solve all their problems and get the show on the road. Mm-hmm. And at yep. that moment, I learnt how to take charge of things because I didn't have wow. to know yeah. how to do anything. I only had to know how to get somebody else to do something. Mm-hmm. So it was simply, you know, has anybody here got any medical experience? Yes. Well, can you look after the, them? Um, can you jump in the back of the divisional van? There's some um, flares in there. Get them taken back down the road. Somebody get on the phone and uh, get the tow truck out here. Uh, I jumped on the radio, got back, got my bloke to get some help coming, and it was just a matter of walking around quietly and talking to people and sorting things mm-hmm. out. So that sounds like uh, you were the one to take charge, right? To yep, that's, step that's, in and uh, say, okay, let's get organised here. Yeah, and that's that's been part of my history all my, all my life after that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I come across any kind of a disaster, I'm the one that goes cool and figures yeah. it out. Yeah. So in, in situations like that. can do and- yeah, like when I did that movie, I just got a group of people together and like we're talking um, retired senior citizens and hmm. just because you're a retired senior citizen doesn't mean you're a dummy. These these hmm. guys are very talented people and I just had to work out what their talents were and get them to use them. Yeah. We found a writer. I found a, a, a former film producer. Um, all sorts of people all got on board and they all got their jobs. That's great. That's good advice. Yes, you don't need to have it. Yeah, I like the line. You don't need to necessarily no. know how to do something, yeah. but it's how to get others to do it. Yeah, I guess it's like um, as, as makers, we really need to know and be good at using and understanding our tools. But yeah, we do. Uh, we need yep. to know who's around us, like the people that are around us. Yep, but I think what you've got to do, like that that tower crane that I'm building at the moment. People say to me, "What are you going to do?" Another another issue. You um, either of you guys retired? No, no. Okay, an oh, issue that an issue, <laughs> no, no, no. an issue that happens is that there's a peak, there's a top of a hill, and when you get to the when you retire, that's you're at the top of the hill, and on your way up to the top of that hill, you're earning money. From when you retire, you're spending it. So when you're on the way up the hill, every morning you wake up, you think, how can I turn this into a dollar? How can I do that? You know, you get mm-hmm. an idea, you think, oh, whoopee, I could make that. I might be able to sell it. So, like Peter, you're selling your talents and. You know, mm. you one day you figured out how you could do that. Well, when you get up to the other end, you don't. You don't wake up in the morning and think, how can yeah. I sell that? So when I make stuff at my time, I'm not making it to do anything else that entertain myself, teach myself, mm-hmm. and to achieve um, an intellectual thing with my hand skills. I'm, I'm mixing yeah. the intellectual skills with my hand skills. Yeah. And the purpose is totally for the for the heck of it. You want to learn. That's it. I just like want to your learn. Your motives are yep. for I figure, the sake of knowledge. You know, earlier in the uh, in the in the show there, you said, um, "Why do you do what you do now instead of go off and play golf?" Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sorry, but too many people 
work their butts off during their life and then they retire and die in a couple of years because they got no idea how to retire. Absolutely. You yeah. you you have got to turn yeah. that that 24-hour period that you get every 24 hours into something productive. If you don't do mm. something productive, there is no point in getting up. Absolutely. You need to make the most of your I guess your, your time, your skills, and uh, yeah, and spread it out. Um, you know, make don't sure just, that you don't just do the same thing. Yeah, spread it out. Do lots of things. That is something that I'm not at that stage yet, but it's something that uh, occasionally I think about. Uh, like, what would I like to be doing in 20 years from now? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, what I'm doing now? <laughs> Actually, yeah, there's no reason to stop. Like one something that I really like uh, about you, uh, Duny, is like you shared, you are learning, like you go out to a group and you say, you know, out loud, uh, I have no idea how this is working and this and that and the other, and so no problem, uh, but I'm trying and I'm really interested. And uh, like probably usually a couple of days later, you've got a solution. Yeah. People will pitch in, but that is perfect. I think that's uh, that's really a, a good example that I would like for myself when, like, that thing that it's called retirement eventually comes. <laughs> uh, I see retirement as freedom, uh, personally, is what you said. You don't need to earn money anymore. It's uh, now it's totally about what you want to learn and what you want to experience. And that's, I think, if uh, people at, you know, at that past working life age can achieve, they're going to have a lot of really good years ahead. Now, I've, I've seen it many times of the golf thing that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. It's just so common. Yeah. I guess the question is, are you any good at golf? No. <laughs> See, that, that also helps as well. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know where your strengths are. No, I don't do any of those things. Um, motorcycling. Um, yeah. uh, the wife and I like to travel on our caravan, and the rest of the time in the shed. Mm. Well, tell us, um, maybe we should get into our quick rapid fire questions sure. and just get a few tiny bits of wisdom out of you, for example. What's your favourite book? Uh, well, we should have favourite author, I think. Or author, sure. Yeah, I, I really like fiction. I don't read much mm-hmm. fact. Um, I like um, mystery stuff. There's a bloke called John Sanderson, or Sanford, mm-hmm. I forget now. Doesn't matter. Yeah, he's he's awesome. We'll find it. Uh, so it's all that sort of mystery stuff, you know. Um, police procedurals, I suppose you'd call them. Oh, I guess uh, does it have anything to do with your Filmmaking interests. I'd say more being a policeman. Yeah, look, look, I'm not sure. Um, When I was a little boy, my mum used to say I'd read the label off a jam tin. Like, even when I'd sit down Mm -hmm. to eat me Wheaties, I'd read the packet. Oh, you like reading? Yeah. I read probably five or six library books a week. I understand that. It's funny, when I used to teach uh, in in university, the only kind of books that I'd read were textbooks. Okay, yeah, I just course. couldn't touch any other book. But now that I've stopped doing that, I'm now, what, five years since I've taught, uh, I now read a lot. Yep. So it's uh, that love for reading has yeah. <laughs> it's come back. <laughs> Marcus? If you could put one line on a billboard, what would that be? Oh, good one. If I could put one line, one sentence on a billboard, what would it be? So like a traffic, like a, a, a highway billboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One you line take, was, can wow. take hold of it and put something on it. I'm stealing it from somebody else. Uh, Peter knows who. If I could put one line on a billboard, 
don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think my personality cares about that. Um, it could be like something like advice that you'd like to give people. Now, you know, advice, uh, I said, is not like you should do this, not in that way, but, you know, you're talking to yourself. And, yeah. um, I don't know. Look, if I did, uh, I'd just think of something at the moment. Honestly, I wouldn't give you a, I wouldn't be able to give you a proper thing. How about, um, how about, you, I'm not putting this in your mouth, obviously, but uh, just as inspiration, find your own shit. Find your own shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Something like that, maybe. Make sure you're on the right side of the grass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I think I think, I think. think whatever I did say would have to do with um, being alive, not dead. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think um, the other thing I'd like to say to everybody in the planet that's ever going to get to the stage where they retire, for God's sake, have something to do. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life doesn't end at, what, 68? It I does think not. 68 is the retirement no. age. No, for many people, it actually just starts there. And uh, you just need to see that as another phase of your life. Mm. Yeah. Yep. As we're going through phases. Okay, let's do one more. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, what advice would you like to give to your 12-year-old self? If you could go back in time and, you know, find yourself when you were 12, what would you say to yourself? Oh, dear me, 12. Um, I always remember the best advice my old man gave me when I was a kid, when I was about that old. Mm -hmm. And I use it all the time. It's um, always make your bed before you get into the piss. Always make your bed before you get into the piss. So that means when you're you're out camping... (laughs) Right, okay. I got it. Yeah. And this is what I do all the time. I get off my motorbike and I th- put up a tent. In this, these days, I don't do that. I've got a, a bed that I tow behind me. But when you pull up, <laughs> you make your tent before you get into the booze. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Like, how would somebody, and now we're not talking about you specifically, right, but about, say, um, a 12-year-old neighbor's child or my son who's not 12 but he's almost 12 how would a 12 year old modern kid translate that a 12 year old oh a 12 year old modern kid yeah and i don't think that modern kids are indifferent to like uh, 60s or something kids i'm just saying today it's like yeah they've got various issues to deal with they've got the internet they've got (laughs) youtube they've got no exams yeah um every generation has got its challenges i don't know um, I am a person who yearns for the old days. Hmm. Um, when I write, I write often about years and years ago, and I try to do it. You may have noticed I have a language of my own, which hmm. is quite old, and the words that I use and lots of the expressions that I use, um, I, I would be happy to be living back then. Uh, by the same token, I'm astonished by the wonderful things that are happening in our universe at the moment and mm-hmm. and uh, hope that things keep being wonderful. But I don't know what I'd say. I haven't got a lot of faith in people, young people. Um, mm, that's a harsh I know that they're going to grow up and be my prime minister and they're the ones that are going to make the money, but, you know, I just still don't have a lot of faith in them. I see these little dickwits walking around with their pants around their ankles and I think to myself, you know, for Christ's sake... Yes. Uh, Is that a rugby league reference? I've got to say that I agree with you on this one, Dini. <laughs> it annoys me so much, but that's how it is. And, yeah. uh, you know, you got to judge people, and especially the newer generations, um, not with our criteria and our standards, but, you know, with theirs. So every generation is different. 
uh, I'm just listening to a lot of history and like it goes back thousands of years or, you know, a thousand years or even 200 years ago. And um, a lot of the things that people used to do back then uh, seem to us so awkward and just uh, bad, really blandly bad, but, you know, got to be judged by the standards of their time. So... Um, uh, oh, there's, there's only a couple of standards that I, I want at least my kids to implement in a way is look after the world since, you know, we only have one and by that I mean the planet, right? And the natural environment. Look after that, make sure you don't destroy it um, and be productive. And I think the rest just comes out of that as, uh, you know, I said, add, add on as a bonus. Uh, but I, I do find that uh, attire should be a bit better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> attire could be better. <laughs> the, the, young, the young people today can't do what we did, uh, unfortunately. Like, you know, years and years ago, I remember there, there was me and my mate Grumpy. Um, mm. We're probably just early 20s, I suppose. We we're uh, way in the back of nowhere, out the back of Wangaratta, going away, shooting for the weekend as per usual. We'd pull up at a gate. And there was a bloody great ant hill there, and my mate Grumpy didn't like ants. He used to burn them with magnifying glasses. Anyway, he got the Ooh, jar of petrol out ouch. the back of the ute, and he tipped it down all the ant holes, and then he set fire to it and blew them up. Well, the downside mm -hmm. of that was that a million very angry ants landed on him after that. But <laughs> you, you, this this was the norm for us. You know, we used to sh blow things up. We we would. Uh, we we had the skills. We were toolmakers. We could we could mm. make cannons. We could and we made cannons, and we blew things up. Yeah. But you can't. These kids these days wouldn't get away with that. Oh, I, I get so many. Uh, like yeah, can't, they just can't talk about them these days. Oh, we we we, <laughs> yeah. we used to we used to deal in handguns. Like we had we made our own handguns. So and now you can three D print them. Yeah, no, I know. You can't, is, Peter. You can't. Well, no, it's actually you download South, the plans. You can't. Oh, in America, sorry. Yeah, in America. In, America yeah, yeah. in New South Wales. Yeah. Not even the plans. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Denny. I really struggle to reconcile all that. It's, um, I'm worried like you, but at the same time, I am uh, hopeful because I see a lot of like amazing kids. Uh, some of them we had on the podcast as well. Yeah. Doing amazing things. Uh, so there's always a balance there. Yeah. But uh, we are doing our best and, uh, you know, we, we're trying to to help the next generation. To yeah, I understand that, but I think there's too many restrictions placed. Like recently there was a bit of a hullabaloo about some uh, young fellow in, a, in a, some kind of a football game who got injured. Um, mm. Gee whiz, that's terrible. It really is. But if you don't have these contact sports, the people don't know how to get injured oh, and they don't know where right. the edge is. And if you don't know where the edge is, you don't know how to stop back from it. If you, if you, I uh, see what you're saying. Yeah, you know, like you can um, be physical, including sport. Yeah, can be all padded. Yeah, you're right. Well, okay. Uh, now, then, just the last thing before we close is, uh, how do people get in touch with you if you want them to do so? They could. Do um, <laughs> I've got um, I've got an email address which is a Gmail address, and. Yep. Uh, I don't go there very often, and because it's Gmail, I don't care if spammers get it. So they could uh, email me there, or they could. Mm. Um, I've given people my Facebook, or I've given you, I think, my Facebook page, mm. which I think is Dooney Dooney Benton. 
Yeah, I've got it. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, and I don't so, mind. Don't mind if anybody yeah. contacts me on that. I don't care who contacts me. I could give you a phone number. I don't mind anything. Uh, I'm looking at your page now, and your in your intro says studied how to get out of doing stuff at University of Life. That's me. <laughs> Went to school of hard knocks. Yep, <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, that that gives you a good and actually a good profile description. So thank you very much for your time, Denny. I'll put all that on the on the show notes yep. uh, for your episode page and i really hope to see the movie that you made on youtube sometime and uh, i'll link that as well yeah look so i will i'll, I'll go back it. and have a think about that i'll probably end up yeah the, the another thing that the our town is doing at the moment is we've got our finger in the pie for one of these pick my projects and uh if we can get that mm-hmm. grant we're going to um build a website a Briaglong website and on that we will put an application so that if anybody comes to our little town, they can walk around with their telephone and bring up hmm. uh, little movies and um, little stories about each of the places in our town. And hmm. uh, if yeah, that happens, we'll get uh, we'll get the job of making the movies. You should do a Kickstarter instead of waiting for a grand. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just unleashed a can. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> You know, Kickstarter crowdsourcing, uh, it's exactly made for this sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. I think. Have a look at it. All right, Denny, thank you very much for your time. Have a excellent yes, afternoon, Friday afternoon. Uh, look, I'm just really proud that uh, you've taken the time to talk to me, Peter. Thank you very much. And also for the course, no, the opportunity to learn. It's sensational. It's my pleasure. And uh, good talking to you too, Marcus. You're welcome. Thank you. And likewise. That's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Dooney are available on our website, techexplorations.com forward slash p forward slash status. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a goldmine of information in the notes. This Stemiverse podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest? Please email us at pa at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.